Well, I'll tell you what, I was going to talk about politics and the Christian today. However, I've decided not to. Mike gave such a great word from Isaiah, and, and you know, I decided I'm going to talk about sports. And here's why. Here's why. The last time the Cubs were in the World Series was 1945. They're going to the World Series. Not only that, the last time they won the World Series was 1908. Now, I know that's before all of you were born. And so uh, that's the last time they won. And we have a dear friend who was part of this body. He uh, actually played for the Rockies. He was Rookie of the Year, actually, for the Dodgers. He played for the Gubs, replaced Sammy Sosa, actually, Todd Hollinsworth. And he's an announcer for them. We've been texting back and forth last night. He said, I'm so excited, but I'm so exhausted. <laughs> anyway, he's a local announcer uh, for there. So anyway, so we were invested in the Cubs. Also, I grew up in Pennsylvania, grew up a Penn State fan, and I heard this. I turned it off, but I, I heard Penn State blocked a field goal, beat Ohio State last night in the club. <laughs> All right. Ohio State fans, I for, forgive me, uh, but I grew up in Pennsylvania. I didn't grow up in Ohio. Anyway, uh, and not only that, CU won. <laughs> and that in itself is a miracle because... <laughs> 20, 28 years, 28 years since they, since they beat Stanford the last time. 28 years. So, so, what's that? Yeah, Nebraska's undefeated, too. That's, that's good. Maybe, maybe see you in Nebraska will meet in a bowl. That would be fun. Anyway, uh, anyway, so I'm going to talk about sports today instead of politics. <laughs> it's a lot safer ground. No, no, I'm going to talk about politics. Uh, they were praying in the prayer room. They this lady goes, Father, thank you so much that Pastor Jr. is wanting to speak on politics. I'm not wanting to speak on politics, <laughs> but I feel that it's very important too. I feel in this time especially, it's a crazy time. I've never in all my years seen such a crazy presidential election. Uh, I've never seen an election where both candidates were, were so unpopular. Uh, it's funny, I've been reading Proverbs uh, you know, the date of the month, I mean, the date of the month I've been reading that proverb. So yesterday was the 22nd. And Proverbs 22 starts out, a good name should be desired above wealth. <laughs> I thought, man, that's a good word for both candidates, <laughs> you know. That's a really good word. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about two extremes in politics. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we sometimes fall in a ditch on either side. And I believe there's two extremes. And I believe the first extreme I want to talk about is an extreme where Christians say, politics is dirty. We should not be involved in any way, shape, or form in politics. We should stick to the spiritual. We should stick to just worshiping God and worshiping Jesus. We shouldn't be involved or have an opinion on these things. We shouldn't get involved. We shouldn't do any of that stuff. And uh, I just want to say that that's a very dangerous position. And the reason it's a dangerous position, I want to give you some facts because this was a very, very strong, this was the prevailing tone uh, back in the late 50s and the early 60s. This was the tone, like Christians do not be involved in politics, do not be involved, even it went to the point of even not being involved in, in education, in higher education, and, and uh, because education becomes so liberal. And, you know, and there were points that were true, but... To be totally uninvolved, here's what happened. And uh, first of all, I'm going to put some slides up on the, I'm going to give you some t statistics today. But first of all, uh, slide number one, in June of 1962, the Supreme Court ruled to remove prayer from the public schools. 
Now, Christians actually stood by and just kind of went along with that. In fact, it's really interesting. Billy Graham and Cardinal Spellman actually spoke out against this decision, but there were many, many Christian leaders that thought this was a good decision. They thought this, and also, I'll give you the second one, the following year, in June of 63, the Supreme Court ruled to remove the Bible reading from the public schools. Now, it, it, as I said, it's so interesting. The NEA, the National Evangelical Association, said this is a good ruling. Both of these are good rulings because we don't need prayer and the Bible in the public schools. It's become too secularized. I want to tell you, this was a bad decision, folks. And unfortunately, not many people spoke up. Thank God Billy Graham did, and, and a few did. But, but many did not speak up against it. Christians just went on their business, doing church, but not being involved and, and I just want to say to you that I had a, a lady who was my teacher, a woman teacher named, her name was Jessie Horn, and she was a strong, believing Quaker. And she would pray with us in sixth grade. And I remember, I'm not a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And every afternoon, she would spend between 45 minutes and an hour reading stories from the Bible. I want you to know, I learned my Bible training from a Quaker woman, a believer who knew Jesus well, and really it impacted me. I really knew the Bible because of this incredible teacher who every afternoon would read us the Bible stories, and I was engrossed in those stories. She was a really good reader and was able to... Uh, it really impacted me. Prayer really impacted me. Very sadly, though, it was taken out of the public schools. Now, thank God for those of you who are in the public schools and are Christians. And I know even though sometimes your hands are somewhat tied and you're, you, know, you can't really speak as freely uh, as you could, you know, I thank God that you're in, in those places. I also thank God for our Christian Academy, which is raising up children where Jesus can be lifted up and where it's having a tremendous impact. You know, when I, when I pastored in Grand Lake, I started a Christian school there. And, uh, and when I came here, it was the vision that I had to have a Christian school here. And I'm so grateful we have that. And, uh, and so we've got to make an impact in the public schools. We've got to make an impact in Christian schools. But I want you to know it grieved my heart uh, when, when, those, when those two decisions came down, even though I was too young to realize the impact. Uh, if you look at the next, the, the, uh, you know, first of all, we've got a picture up here of little kids. And uh, you'll notice I'm the fourth kid over on... No, I'm teasing. That's not... <laughs> but uh, that's the way we dressed, though, when I was growing up. Uh, uh, a little different than now. But anyway, uh, you can see, I mean, uh, that's when kids were praying in schools uh, beforehand. Uh, I want to go to the next slide, though, because one can argue... And by the way, this is by uh, Dr. William James, who is a... Uh, educational expert. He actually taught at, at the Princeton, he was a fellow, uh, fellow at Princeton Witherspoon uh, School of Government. And uh, he wrote this, he said, one can argue that some have, uh, and some have, that the decision that by the Supreme Court in the two decisions back in 62 and 63 to remove Bible and prayer from the public schools may be the most spiritually significant event in our nation's history over the course of the last 55 years. This is, this is, I mean, without a doubt, a very, very powerful, powerful statement. I believe one that's true. Now, I want to show you some things that, uh, that basically, uh, some statistics that are sad that will show you. And, and I'm not saying that all of this happened because prayer and the Bible reading were taken out of public schools, but I believe it was a contributing factor. The statistics in 1963, 
uh, following 1963, after the prayer and the Bible were taken out of public schools. First of all, after 63, pregnancies in 15 to 19-year-old girls uh, was up 187%. Pregnancy in girls 10 to 14 years uh, old was up 289%. Sexually transmitted diseases uh, was up 226% in 12 years. Divorce uh, was declining before 63, but after 63, uh, increased 30, 300% over the next 15 years. Here's another very interesting statistic. SAT scores, which actually they gave the same SAT scores since, since the, the late 40s, same SAT uh, you know, tests. Those scores had been steadily rising, but after 63, they began to decline, and they declined each year over the next 18 years. Now, that's amazing statistics. Uh, also, the national statistics, violent crime increased 544%. Illegal drugs increased beyond, uh, you know, just off the charts. And since 1973, more than 300 million babies have been aborted. And that was from the Way, the, uh, the Way Road, Ray, Roe versus Wade decision in 73. So basically, uh, Christians, unfortunately, became so uninvolved in politics that it had a tremendous impact on our society, on our nation. You know, we're here, folks, to make a difference in this world. We're here to make a difference in every area. It's not just politics. It's every area of society. We're called to really impact society. We're here to be salt and light. We're here to make a difference. And so I, it, it grieves me that this extreme of, you know, Politics are dirty, and I don't like either candidate, so I'm just not going to vote for the presidential election. Let me tell you, folks, there's a lot of important other elections, too. You know, if that's your, prior, you know, that's your prerogative, if you don't want to vote for, for a candidate. But I, I ask you to look beyond. Both those candidates are extremely flawed. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Uh, we're, we're flawed. We're, you know, we're all flawed, but they're, they're extremely flawed. I think they're flaws. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, here's the deal. You've got to look beyond the person. You've got to look beyond the person and look to what's behind, uh, you know, what are the decisions that are going to be made. Uh, it's very possible that several Supreme Court judges will be chosen by, by whoever becomes the president. Also, look at the people that they surround themselves with. And, uh, and so, again, don't just vote on the personality of the person, whether you like the personality or you don't like the personality. Try to look beyond that. And uh, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just telling you how. And there's some very, very important propositions, by the way. Uh, there's one proposition, I think it's 69, that uh, just, you know, the, the proposition would make uh, your health care uh, would be over some uh, secular individuals in the, in the Colorado state government who would be over that if that goes through. And again, I'm not saying you should vote for it or against it. If that's what you want, then vote for it. If you don't want that, you know. And then there's another, I think it's, it's Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs. It's, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I wish it was Proverbs. Anyway, uh, it's Proposition 106, which is actually a euthanasia bill. And so anyway, you just need to vote your, you know, how you feel, your Christian values, how you feel, your conscience. But, but please, please, whatever you do, don't put your head in the sand. Vote. Uh, don't, don't, don't fall on the side of that where it's totally extreme, where you're not involved at all. And uh, I want to give you just a scripture for that. I think, uh, I don't think I got through all the, did I get through? No, let's see, did I? Yeah, I did. I got through all the, I did very well. Say, say, good, <laughs> say good job, Pastor. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not real good with statistics, so I just want to make sure I got them in. But sometimes statistics tell a story 
better than we can tell it in our own words. Uh, I want to give you a scripture that I really believe backs this up. It's Proverbs 14, 35. I've been spending a lot of time in Proverbs, but Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I really believe that. And righteousness is our right standing with God. It's that connection we have with him. It's as we, we, we not only pray, but as we really fulfill, walk in what his word is and walk in what he says and really have an impact around us. So that's number one. Uh, also, too, uh, I want to point out that there's another extreme, too. And this stream is also a bad extreme. And it's an extreme where you feel so strongly politically that you actually break fellowship and get in strife with other believers and other people, non-believers as well. You get in strife because they don't believe the way you do politically. And I want you to, I want to say that's wrong. That is wrong. You, you can't do that. You can't. And, and I know of two brothers. One's a good friend of mine. And these two brothers, because they have slightly different positions and it's not even that big a different position, they have slightly different positions, they won't talk to each other. They are at tremendous odds with each other. They have broken fellowship. They're blood brothers. Now, that's sad. That's sad. You know, it's important. We can discuss the issues. But I want you to know, when you try to force your views on other people, I guarantee you that doesn't really help that other person. In fact, if anything, it entrenches them more in the position that they have. Talk about it and say, hey, you know, talk, discuss it in a gentle way, but release it. And, you know, you know, it's so important to let it go. Let me give you some scripture to back this up. Because, you know, this not only happens, sometimes this happens doctrinally, where people feel really strong about a doctrine. And they'll say, if you don't believe the way I do, doctrinally on this non-essential issue, then I won't have fellowship with you. You see, that's the enemy putting a wedge between people and using things to destroy the relationship that they have with each other. And I just want to say that's wrong. You know, I have friends I know that will vote differently than I will vote. Uh, and, and they're still going to be friends after the election. Amen? After the election is over, it's okay. They don't have to vote the way I do. You don't have to vote the way I do, and you don't even know the way I'm voting, although you could probably guess. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, you know, I will say this, that uh, uh, there's a few scriptures that back up this position of not being extreme. The first one is Romans 12, 18. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Now, notice it says, as much as it depends on you. That means some people are going to be jerks, and they're not going to, no matter how hard you try, they're not going to get along with you. Amen? But you've got to do everything in your power. You've got to do everything in your power to, to get along with them. And the word here, peaceably, comes from the Greek word, irene. And it really, the first meaning of that word in the Greek actually means relational peace. It's talking about relational peace, walking in relational peace. See, Jesus came that we could... Uh, that we could have peace with God, in other words, relational peace with God, we could come into a relationship with him, and that we could have peace with each other. That's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, with all your mind, you know, basically with everything you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus changed it to say, love your neighbor as I've loved you. That means unconditionally. That means your neighbor doesn't have to agree with you politically for you to, be, to love your neighbor. Amen? Now, this is important, guys. 
Because we can hold these, the, you know, the, the, the values we have, we can hold them very strongly, but we don't put that as a barrier between us and our neighbors or another person. Amen? Okay. Now, <laughs> you can see I feel strongly about this because I've seen, I remember in the gym that I work out in, uh, this, <laughs> this guy that goes to our church and then the other guy, he'd come to our church once in a while. Anyway, they were starting to talk about politics and they got into a big fight. And, and, and so the one guy comes to me, he says, he won't talk to me anymore. I said, you know what? You're going to have to let it go. <laughs> You're going to have to let it go. I said, uh, you know, he, because I don't believe exactly the way he does, he won't talk to me. I go, and they're both Christians. And I go, you know what? There's nothing you can do about that. You, you can just be friendly and say hi, uh, you know, when you see him in the gym and ask him if he can give him a spot and not drop the, the weight on him. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I want to give you another one. Romans 14, 19 says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Did you hear that? Let's pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Uh, I think that's really important. Now, I personally have a very strong view of, I'm a very pro-life person. I believe that the unborn child is an unborn child. When Roe versus Wade uh, went through, uh, they could not prove that a baby in a womb had emotions and feelings and all that. They didn't have the technical ability to show that. Uh, now, obviously, it's not an issue. We know that the baby in the womb has emotions, kicks and moves, and, and the brain is formed at a certain, certain week, so many weeks in. And, you know, we know all that. And so I'm strongly pro-life. However, let me just say <laughs> it's okay to be strongly pro-life, to support pro-life candidates, to support pro-life issues, but it is wrong to go and try to bomb a, an abortion clinic. It's wrong to try to kill an abortion doctor. That's wrong, folks. You see the extremes? I, I just want to show you the extremes. And there was a guy on the radio, used to be on the radio a lot, and I, I don't know what happened to him, but, but he, would, he would actually say that the... the Let's see, the end is justified by the means. In other words, you can go and do whatever damage you can to an abortion clinic, and that end justifies the means because you're trying to save babies. I disagree with that. I agree. There's a, way, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. That's a wrong way to do things. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just trying to show you the, the extremes, how, you know, you can bury your head in the sand, you can get so extreme, you can do really stupid stuff. And so, anyway, First uh, Peter now, Peter wrote this, and Peter was a fiery guy. Peter was always doing stupid stuff, you know. Uh, I relate to Peter, and, uh, and <laughs> I thank God that he's in the Bible because it gives me hope. Anyway, 1 Peter 2, 15, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, the beginning of 14, it says, and this Peter wrote this at a time <clears throat> when Herod was over that area. Uh, there was persecution of Christians. They were being killed. Herod was a terrible, terrible ruler. A uh, very demented individual, very cruel, evil person. And, but listen to what Peter says. But be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. Now, that's a, that's a strong statement. And so we need to honor those in power, even when we don't agree with them. And so there's a healthy balance there's a very healthy balance. I believe we need to vote. I, we can hold strongly to the, what we, how we feel. We can discuss it with other people, but we don't fall out of fellowship. We don't get strifeful about it. We don't allow that to happen. 
And I believe the key in all of this is to pray. I really believe the key. We need to be praying, folks, as we've never prayed before. Why? Because you love this nation. I love this nation. Uh, I love the people of this nation. And here's what, Tim, here's what Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you could put that up on the screen, I'm going to read it. It's from the ESV. And it says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, now that's a tough one, be made for all people, especially for kings and all those who are in high positions. That's talking about presidents. That's talking about the people in Congress. That's talking about our town government. It's talking about everything, the the state government. It's talking about those in positions of authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, we need to be praying. Now, I know it's much easier, much easier, and I find myself doing this, to criticize those in public office because they're doing some things that I totally disagree with. But you know what? We need to pray for those people. We need to pray. There's a scripture in Psalm 75, I think it's verse 6, that says the king's hand is in, in, I mean, the king's heart is in the Lord's hands and he turns it whithersoever he will. Now, sometimes we wonder if certain leaders' hearts are in, the, are, you know, are in God's hands. In his, uh, I'm sorry, their heart is in his hands. But I really believe that through prayer, better than through complaining, we can get more done. Would you agree with that? Thank you for those five amens. Okay. So I believe through prayer we can do a lot more than we can through just complaining. It's easier to complain. I find myself it's more fun to complain. I enjoy complaining. (laughs) However, I know that that's not going to get a lot done. I know that prayer is what's going to make a difference. And, you know, I want to give you a scripture here, 2 Chronicles. Chapter 7, verse 14. In fact, you're probably very familiar with this scripture. Why don't you read it with me? We'll put it up on the screen. And you can just read it with me. I, I'm sure you've heard this many times before. Uh, it was spoken at the, at the Castle Rock Day of Prayer uh, over Labor Day weekend. It says this. And why don't you say it with me? We'll start. Ready? One, two, three. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, that's not my promise. That's God's promise. If my people. Now, we're his people. Amen? And so if we will really, if we really will, will humble ourselves, that means we really cry out to him. We come just humbly dependent upon him, recognizing that no matter how the election turns out, no matter how the propositions go, no matter how different things go, God's still on the throne. He's still God. And we cry out to him, and it says that he will hear from heaven, he'll forgive their sin, and he'll he'll heal our land. And that's what we need. We need healing in our land, folks. I mean, this country is not in good shape right now. I love this nation. But, man, I really... My heart breaks for this nation. I've been praying. But we need to pray. We're going to pray this morning just together as a a group. But um, I I want to give you hope, though. And uh, 
I'm trying to figure out which direction I want to go here, whether I want to do... Uh, let me just put, I want to put up, I want to tell you a story first. And this is a powerful story. John Hancock, John Adams, some other uh, of the revolutionary, uh, you know, the, the patriots of this country were together and they were meeting and uh, this major, British major came in and commanded them. He said, I command you in the sovereign king, King George, that you disband this meeting. And John Adams stood up and he said these words which have reverberated through history. He said, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Did you hear that? Say that with me. We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. You know, ultimately it comes down to all of this is going to pass away. But we have a God whose kingdom we pray that will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look to someone higher than government authorities. We serve a God who is greater, who created the heavens and the earth than anyone that can ever take office. Amen? And so we need to realize that. So when we pray, we pray with an understanding and a passion and empowering to really believe God's going to move. You know... I'm kind of running out of time here, but I want to say, I want to say this. Um, if I can find it. Back during the colonial times, this, the, the colonies were in, in bad shape. And uh, this was the American colonists had their own peculiar problems. There were a mixture of collection of nationalities in an alien country. In other words, there were a lot of, a lot of immigrants. And they had no central government to bind them together in, any, in anything like a national unity. And they were divided by intense religious convictions and by their nationalistic spirit. Perpetual war with the Indians produced all manner of inhuman passions, removing moral convictions and restraints. A wild and adventurous spirit possessed the people as morals declined and religion decayed. Drunkenness, swearing, immorality, and every form of vice blossomed as never before in their history. The godly aspirations of their Puritan forefathers for a Christian utopia in the new world had, were long since dead. I want you to know that this was the state, and even the church at that time, had fallen into apostasies and fragrant sins, corrupted and weakened the churches. Uh, religion was at a very low state, professors generally dead, and the body of our people careless, carnal, and secure. In Pennsylvania, Samuel, Reverend Samuel Blair stated, religion lay, as it were, dying and ready to expire its last breath of life in this part of the visible church. The same conditions obtained everywhere throughout all the colonies from New England to the far south. I want you to know this was just prior. This was, these were the conditions in the colonies right before. And lots of times we don't hear about this. We just talk about the godly forefathers and the foundation that this country was laid on. The reason it was laid on was because this preceded the great, uh, first great awakening and the second great awakening in this nation. 
And there was an awakening where between 25 and 50% of the population came to know Christ. There was a tremendous move of God. The church where I was a youth pastor in was Neshaminy Warwick Presbyterian Church. And out on that field, uh, actually, the Tennant brothers preached and saw thousands of people converted. George Whitfield also preached in that area. And God moved on this nation and began, a revival began from the grassroots up, and it changed the very fabric of this nation. I believe that we are in the same condition, and we are ripe for a revival. Amen? Amen. And I believe it's going to happen. And so this is, not a dis- this is not a discouraging message to me, and it's not even discouraging when I see the condition of this nation, because I believe we are ripe for a tremendous move of the Spirit. I believe we're on the brink of it, but I believe it's going to take prayer. I believe it's going to take sincerity. It's going to take a heart that goes after God like never before. So here's what I want to do in closing. First of all, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want to challenge you today. Cry out from your heart. God hears the cry of your heart. Jesus died for your sin. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. But he forgives those sins. He comes into our life. He changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. He changes us from the inside out. So I'm just going to ask you to do that. But I want you to join hands with the person next to you. Go ahead. Why don't you stand and do this? Because it's a little hard if the person's five seats away. So join hands with the people next to you. We're going to pray. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to have the worship team come out. We'll, we'll close with a chorus. But, but I want to pray right now. And I, I just want, you know, I just want this to be a time where we really cry out to God. And I want you to cry out. You can cry out verbally. You can cry out silently. But I want us to cry out as a body for not only this city, not only this county, not only this state, not only this nation, but this whole world, folks. We need God to pour himself out as never before. So let's begin to pray. Heavenly Father, we cry out to you this day. We say you are an incredible Father. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And today, Lord, we we cry out to you. We ask you to forgive us for the things that, that we as a nation have done, that we as a people have done. Forgive our sins. Forgive our lack of passion. Forgive our complacency and apathy. Lord, come and stir our hearts. Father, we need a move of your spirit like never before. God, we are hungry for you. We are trusting you. We thank you for the unity of the believers in this city, in this town. Father, we ask you to increase the unity because that increases your power to move. Father, we also cry out to you even now to cause your spirit to descend on each and every heart. We pray for those (laughs) that we come in contact with. And for those that we don't come in contact with who do not know you. And we pray that they would come into a personal relationship with you, Lord. God, we cry out to you. On the eve of this election, on the eve of the struggles that this nation faces, uh, on the eve of when terrorism seems to be on the rise, we cry out to you, God, because you are our hope. And we have one sovereign, and that is God, and one king, and he is Jesus. And so move in a mighty way, Father. We ask it in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, let's give Jesus a hand. Woo! Hallelujah.